Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast, conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name's Imi and I am your host. Thank you ever so much for checking in every two weeks and for being more and more every day to listen to the podcast. I really hope you enjoy it. If you do, don't hesitate to share your feedback. And in fact, share your feedback too if you don't like it that much as well. You can send an email to hello at theoceanriderspodcast.com or connect with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you and see how I can make this podcast better every episode. If you enjoy the podcast, you can support it too. You can start by subscribing to it in your podcast app. Hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, uh, Stitcher and your other favourite apps. You can also tell your family, friends and surf buddies about the podcast and even come and join me for a chat and make one yourself. The whole point of this podcast is to share the weird and windy paths of surfers from all walks of life. So if you're interested, just DM me on social media or send an email to hello at theoceanriderspodcast.com. Last but not least, you can help me pay for my awesome podcast editor, whose name is Leng, and hosting fees by purchasing some of my super merch. In fact, as I speak, I'm wearing the Women's Organic Sweatshirt, which has just come out, and it's so comfortable and stylish that I even wear it to official do's. Anyway, there are some super, super soft organic t-shirts, organic sweatshirts, hoodies, wall art, and some lovely greeting cards made by yours truly. Everything is in limited edition and made to order, so skip over to theoceanridersshop.com. If you're a business and you'd like to advertise, you can also send me an email and we can see what we can arrange. In any case, I'd love to hear from you. Anyway, enough of the self-promotion and now for my guest. In fact, I'm really excited to have this conversation. I had the privilege this week to having a chat with one of the pioneers of big wave surfing. He's French and his name is Vincent Lartisian or Vincent Lartisian with a French accent. Vincent started his career as a professional windsurfer and actually made everything possible to move to Maui in the 80s to follow his dream and ended up living there for 20 years. It turned out big wave surfing was something he loved doing and during the time he spent in Hawaii he learnt and mastered the art of towing surfing, in fact just after it got invented by Laird Hamilton. He was in fact the first non-Hawaiian to be allowed to surf Jaws and spent the next 30 years pulling off incredible exploits in dangerous situations in Hawaii and the rest of the world. In fact he was the first surfer to surf Bellara in southwest of France. Our conversation covers these early years and beyond, but it turns into a more spiritual conversation about the flow and energy in the ocean and how Vincent's spiritual connection has helped him see life differently. In fact, about six years ago, Vincent, against all odds, decided to create a hemp t-shirt manufacturing business. Six years later, he's a successful solpreneur with a vertically integrated hemp manufacturing facility near Osgore. It's from the shores of the Atlantic that he practices what he learned from the ocean and from a kahuna to succeed in business. Vincent's path is atypical, but it's also fascinating. So without further ado, please welcome Vincent Lartizian. Hello, Vincent, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today? Good, how are you? I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm really, really stoked to do this interview for the second time, and thank you very much for making this time to share your story. So, do you think, to start with, you could introduce yourself to the listeners? Okay. <laughs> so, my name is Vincent. I've been having a few different lives in my life. <laughs> the first one was in Hawaii for... 20 years, being a professional windsurfer first, and then a professional surfer, and then other lives that maybe is not the topic today. So, Well, we'll see what we can actually fit into, into this conversation, but I'm sure we'll be able to sort of talk about all your lives, <laughs> or some of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so whereabouts did you grow up? So I grew up in the French Riviera by Saint-Tropez, because my dad was a surgeon there. And uh, that's why I spent my life from zero to 17 until I left to Hawaii. So I was raised on the flat sea. <laughs> <laughs> and who introduced you to windsurfing and, and the ocean in, in the first place? I lived by the ocean. So 
I was introduced right away to the ocean and we, we used to play. No matter what, we used to dive a lot and play with the boats, the sailing boat at the time. And in the 70s, I don't know exactly when, I saw the first windsurfer. It was a German guy who, who brought it from I don't know where. And we saw that guy coming with a uh, windsurf board and I was like, uh, wow, what is that? <laughs> and I was by 11 at that time. And we went to the guy and I said, oh, I want to try, I want to try. And... The guy made me try, and after the second try, I just felt the wind, and, and I start to glide, and something switched inside of my stomach. <laughs> and from that time, that was it. <laughs> I was hooked. <laughs> That's amazing, because you, you sort of did a trade with your dad about, you know, passing your exams, your final exams, and then going off to Hawaii. But how did that work out? That was a few years after I was hooked on windsurfing, and I saw some picture of Robin Ash and guys jumping in Hawaii, and I say. I just want to go there. That was the other switch I had inside of me. It was really physical stomach switch. Really? I couldn't explain it better, but uh, something switched inside my stomach. The first time I climbed on a windsurf board, and the second time, that's when I saw in a wind magazine that I opened, and I saw Hawaii and guys jumping, and I knew I had to go there. I was uh, 16. And I told to my dad, and I said, I just want to go there. And he said, well, when you get your baccalaureate, we'll pay you a ticket. I was really bad in school, so I never got my baccalaureate, and I had to go on my own. <laughs> so did you save up, or did you have sponsors by then that helped you pay for the ticket? No, no, no. It was in, in 82, and at that time, there were no sponsors windsurfing. So I had to make my own money, and so I made some money, and I skipped school. Uh -huh. My dad saw that I was still in school, and I escaped school, and I just flew to Hawaii. That's amazing. On my own. <laughs> <laughs> How did you actually sort of fit into the environment in Hawaii? How did you sort of make the first friends and actually get to know the locals? I was by myself and all the windsurfing at the beginning was happening on Oahu and, uh, you know, Diamond Head and all those places. That's where, that's where Robin Ash lived. But when I got there in 82, it was the beginning of Okipa. So all energy switched to Maui. And when I got to Hawaii... I went to Robinesh's store and I asked Robbie's mom, you know, where, where are the guys? I want to see them and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, like a, a French kid. And she told me, oh, it's not here anymore. You have to go to Maui. So I got a ticket. I flew to Maui and I got to Maui and I walked to the beach and I met some guy and I say, I'm French. I, I just arrived. And at that time, it was so mellow and so friendly that the guy told me, okay, come to my house. And from then on, I was just introduced slowly by slowly uh, to the crew at Okipa. I went straight to Okipa. I didn't pass the other beach where, usually, where you go usually when you start. And I got introduced to and friend with all the best guys from there, you know, Mike Waltz, Greg Mesonville, all, all, the, all the big windsurfer guys. And I just made my, my little place mm -hmm. there. <laughs> Then I got married and stuff. Oh, that's so cool. And so was that when you started to become a professional windsurfer? The first year I had my own money and I stayed for one year with my own money. Then I went back to France. And just before I went, there was a contest, one of the big windsurfing contests where all the French people came, all the European professionals came. And uh, the press was there and nobody knew me, but I ended up the best uh, Frenchman at the, at the contest. And so from that day, everybody started to talk about me because I was like a young French guy. Nobody knew and I was good in windsurfing in the wave and I was introduced to a whole Hawaiian. And from that time, my dad helped me. I went back to France and he gave me some money to go back again. And he helped me for one or two more years. And then the sponsor caught up. They caught up, they rolled in. That's really yeah. cool. And I guess windsurfing and surfing obviously have something in common, but how did you actually catch the surfing bug coming from the Mediterranean? On the not windy days, <laughs> <laughs> we had nothing else to do. And the waves, that was my passion there. I just start to love the waves more and more. And from windsurfing, I moved to surfing. When there were no wind, we surf all day long. And when there was no wave and no wind, we'll go fishing to catch our fish because we had no money and we, <laughs> we had to eat. So that's all we did there back then. We windsurfed, surfed and fished. That sounds so Spear cool. Fishing. <laughs> so cool. Could you tell us the story of when you surfed Jaws with Michel Laronde for the first time? 
Yeah, so when Laird started to do the towing thing, we were there because Laird was a windsurfer. He lived on, on Maui and Michel at the restaurant, La Vie en Rose. So everybody was eating in, in his restaurant. So we were just a, a big family there. And my wife and Laird's wife were best friends. So very every two days I was at his place eating there. So I saw when he first did the, the old stuff with Joe's, with, what's his name? Jerry Lopez was there living on Maui and he was telling us, there is a wave in the sugar cane that nobody knows in the pineapple field where that nobody knows and um, you cannot catch wave paddling. So he told Laird and Laird start to go with the Zodiac. Then they went with the jet ski and we were watching from the cliff because Michel lived right above. And when we saw that for the first time, I told Michel, man, we got to go. We got to do that. That's too fun. <laughs> and so I called my sponsor in France. He bought us a jet ski. And we were the first one to go behind Laird's crew. And the first day was a big adventure. Because <laughs> we made the mistake to go like that, like uh, full beginners. So we went with the ski. We arrived there. Laird's crew was there. And they were really kind of shocked that it was us, the little French guy that came right <laughs> behind us. And it was a big swell. And we made a mistake. And Michel had a big wipeout, one of the biggest ones they ever saw there at that time and so everybody freaked we couldn't get him back in the white water so the whole session stopped from that and Leon told us okay you guys gotta come to the house tomorrow we'll talk and so we went home we were really stuck because we served Joe's for the first time even if <laughs> Michelle had a big wipeout and the next day we went to Leon's house and we knew all the guys we knew them very well and None of them wanted to look at us. <laughs> and it was this big Hawaiian guy, Billy, who was the, the kind of the their bodyguard somehow. Uh -huh. And he scolded us big time, and like they do in Hawaii, you know. So he didn't punch us or anything, but big time scolding. And he told us, well, you guys now, you did the biggest mistake, so now you're going to have to go to Sprakersville, which is a beach lower beach down down the coast so you're gonna go there for two years and when we decide that you'll be ready for joe's we'll call you so we did that okay. we went to sprekersville and we did our class <laughs> in hawaii you gotta you gotta do your class you gotta you prove your earn your place kind of thing <laughs> yeah, exactly so we did it mellow we did every time there was a big swell we go to sprekersville on our own we did all the mistakes that we could do and we learned and, and on the second year, one day there was a big swell and the morning Laird called us and he said, okay, guys, come up. And so that was it. That was we it. were part of the game. That was amazing. And is that where you sort of also caught the big wave surfing bug like that? Because you are a renowned big wave surfer around the world. Could you tell us a bit more about your experience with big wave surfing? It started with windsurfing. I always liked big waves and windsurfing at Okipa to, to get your place on the lineup, even windsurfing, you had to go big waves. Right. And not very few guys went big. Even of some of the best guys didn't like the big waves. You know, they rip in small waves, but in medium-sized waves. But when it was really big, nobody was there. But me, somehow, I liked it. I don't know why. I felt good with it. So I was at every big session I was there. So already I earned my place with the windsurfing. And from going to Joe's and being the first one to go at Joe's, then again, I earned my place. And then when we came to Europe and I saw the potential in Europe and nobody knew about that sport, the, the towing, mm -hmm. and we brought the first jet ski, then we formed a few of our friends that mm -hmm. like big wave and we went to discover all the European waves. So we were the first one everywhere. So I guess naturally I gained my reputation there. Yeah. What's the equipment like for big wave surfing? Could you describe what your surfboard looks like? At the beginning, they were kind of like medium-sized big wave surfing board, but mm -hmm. then like seven fours, thing like that. And that was at the beginning, the real beginning. Then slowly by slowly, we went shorter and shorter and shorter. And at the end, Laird told us that the big wave board should be our size. Really? I'm six foot, so the, I should use a six foot. And we got narrower and narrower and heavier and heavier so we had boards that were like maybe five 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 ten five eight but that weighed 20 kilos wow because the speed that you get on large wave 
you got a old uh, light board, you will fly away. So the heavier the board, the better it was. And also we use straps and windsurfing we knew about uh, being strapped in. Mm -hmm. So it was easy for us to use strap. And uh, we use front strap and back heel strap too. So that was the equipment back then. Right. And so what do you have to fill the surfboard with to make it heavy? Do you put lead in it or something like that? We used to put lead, but then after we put sand. Right. But at the beginning, we put lead. So we built a regular, very small surfboard, and we put lead. It was very special at the beginning. But then you could hold any speed. And we had very small fins because the faster you get, the less fin you need. Really? It was like being on a snowboard. Uh A little bit. You know, the way you you move, the way you you approach the wave. But that was 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> things have changed <laughs> and like in terms of safety and things like that what kind of a life jacket did you have at the time did you we, wear one or, or? no we, we surfed in shorts really yeah i have picture at joe's in 20 foot waves on shorts <gasps> and for us that was the safety was the pilot or ourselves. we had to swim back up and, and the pilot had to get us and only 10 years after we started we started to think about life jacket and we were a life jacket like 10 years after we started. Wow. So that was so definitely sort of taking your life in your hands every day. Yeah, but we did a lot of diving. I used to dive at 30 meters depth and catch fish and hold my breath and come back up. So I was used to go down. So for us, that was the best training. Now, you know, they go, they walk with big rocks underwater and stuff. <laughs> But for us, we had to eat, so we had to go and catch our fish. And so diving was almost, we had to go dive. <laughs> but that was our best training. Yeah. Without knowing it, so we, we did the best we could do. So yeah. we dived just before we surfed there. Really? So I knew the bottom, I knew the rocks, I knew everything. Because we always go there to catch fish. That's terrific. That's terrific. And you were the first person to surf the wave Bellara in 2002. Do you think you could tell us what happened that 22nd of November 2002? Uh, Yeah, that was a big day. (laughs) First, when we went there, our friend didn't know too much about the, the wave. So nobody knew about the wave and nobody had surfed it before. So we went to see it one day. And it was far away at sea, so we couldn't tell if it was big, small. We didn't know nothing. So we went with a bunch of friends. We were like three or four jet ski. And I remember Michelle and I were coming back from Hawaii, and I was feeling really good that day. We got there, and it was scary looking because it was windy and huge, like 25, 30 foot. And all our friends say, okay, okay, we've seen the wave now. Let's go back to the harbor. (laughs) And I was like, what? No, we came here to surf. Come on. So Michel told me, what, you want to go? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I want to go. So he started towing me into the wave. So I didn't let go the rope because when you're towing, when you let go the rope, you're on your own. As long as you have the rope in your hand, you're okay. So for the first wave, I hold to the bar. I wanted to, to see how the wave form, where to place myself and everything because when it's big, it's really hard to tell. And on the third one, I felt good. So I let go the rope and I remember I was a heavy heavy wave and when i got to the end of the wave my friend were there with the jet ski and they were looking at me with big eyes like this <laughs> you know, me, okay okay you got one now we go back we go back <laughs> they were still terrified <laughs> yeah and I said, no no it's okay now we got one we, we gotta get some more and so i caught a few more and the wind died and so the whole place started to come down and the wave looked more easy. And then they start to get the vibe. Okay. And slowly by slowly they started and that was it. The session was on. Then the helicopter co- came. Yes. Because one company sent it and they did a bunch of pictures, but that was like one hour after. And then they told the whole story. <laughs> they sold the picture to all the press, Paris Match, Germany, everywhere was the wave, but. They didn't mention the surfer. No, they told our story. There was no picture of me at all because <laughs> me, I had do, done all the beginning. Oh, no. So I was frustrated. I was pissed. Some guy came and took picture of us and sold our story. You know, we took the risk. We put the money. We did. 
years of research, but they sold it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the listeners, just to sort of say where Bellara is. It's off the co- coast of the Basque countryside, isn't it? It's um yeah, it's on the Spain border, mm-hmm. on the Spanish border, and it's uh, outside of Saint Jean de Luz, mm-hmm. which is the a very typical Basque harbor with a lot of fishermen. And the place Bellara is a big rock, like three kilometers off, off the coast. There is a rock that comes up. And Bellara means the green grass, because when you are on, the, on a fishing boat, you all you see is the big green place, because the seaweed on the rocks, they make it look green. And it's a very good place to fish, because it's really deep around, and when you go there, the fish are there, so the fishermen know the place very well. And they know it for that, and they know it because they lost a lot of friends there. Because the wave, sometimes you don't see it, and all of a sudden it breaks. And for them, it's a very dangerous place that they fear. And when they saw that uh, when we left there for the first time, they were at the harbor because they're always there. And they saw us and they said, where are you going? And we're saying, why are we going to the wave? And they told us the name Belara. We didn't know. And they said, you're going to Belara? You're crazy. What are you doing there? And when we came back from that day and we had the session, they were so happy. So they invited us in the in the bar and we drink with them. And it was a very special moment, you know, from the surfer meeting the fishermen. And the fishermen were so happy because somewhere we eased something from them. You know, the place where they lost friends, mm. we went to play there. And the wave was not scary anymore. It was a playground. Oh, that's beautiful. That made a big switch with them, with the old fishermen community. That was important for us. And there was something very special about that day because I recall you looked at your watch and it was 11.11 in the morning and all the sort of planets aligned that day on the 22nd, like 2211-1111. It was like <laughs> all, the, all the numbers aligned. Yeah, I have a special approach with the ocean and the spirit of the ocean and life all together. And I study the energy a lot. And I did three years of learning about how to play with energy, how to heal people and stuff, how to work with the spirit. And I know that every time I have some little sign that comes in front of me where I know I'm connected, there is a special connection and I feel good. In Hawaii, they say, that they have a word that that's called lokihi, mm-hmm. and which means that uh, your physical ability, your mental ability, and your spiritual connection they are all together. You have the three together. You are in lokihi states, and that day I was feeling good physically. I had a good mental, and just before I went in the water, I, I took my phone to turn it off, and it was eleven eleven, and for me that was. You know, the little connection I needed to know that uh, the spirit were watching me. And each wave is alive. Each place has a spirit. And every time we go to a new place, we connect to that spirit. We ask the permission. We ask the authorization to play. And we come here to play. We don't come here for no other reason. So we want to come back. We don't want to die or whatever. So it's, it's a game. We play with the wave. And we want the spirit of the place, of the wave to guide us, to show us how. Because when you let go of the rope, it's not your mental is going to tell you, you got to go right, left. It's more the, the wave that's going to guide you. And if you let yourself being guided by the spirit of the wave, you cannot make mistakes. That's where I felt really good. And I could do that that day where it was a scary day and very big waves and stuff like that. So for me, it's a really important part of the whole big wave surfing and of my approach of the ocean is that special connection that I learned in Hawaii because the Hawaiian work this way, you know, they ask the authorization before they go in the water each day, before they pick up the taro root, before they pick up fruits, they ask the authorization to the land, to the ocean, to the spirits. And that connection makes you have a different approach and a different understanding of the element and the wave and stuff. And for me, that's what surfing is about. That's how surfing was brought in the first place. For me, it's not a sport. It's more like a spiritual activity. It's a spiritual connection. It helps you stay connected to the planet, to the forces, and you are playing with them. That's all you do. It's just a game. And in that game, the spirits teach you. They teach you so much, you don't realize it, but you realize it after that the lesson that has been given to you is so precious that you can apply it to all of your life and anything you do in your life. 
if it goes with the same value and the same and the same respect and connection you make no mistake and you have no fear because it's just a game and you are guided but you gotta entertain and that connection and feed that connection and so that's my approach and did you work with a kahuna whilst you were in hawaii then did you get taught all these spiritual practices whilst you were there not directly. I always loved Kahuna and the Hawaiian mystic site and their connection to nature. Once I discovered what it was, because at the beginning, I didn't understand what they were doing. I thought they were praying, mm-hmm. but they were not praying at all. They were just connecting to the element. It was not a prayer. So when I realized I wanted to know more about it, and I studied, I read a lot of books, I studied some texts, some ancient mystic texts, and I talked a lot with some friends who were connected with the kahuna. And then one day I got really sick from a fish poisoning, a ciguatera. I called my dad, who was a surgeon, and he told me, okay, call my friend in Paris, he's the specialist for that. And I called him and he said, oh no, now it's too late, it's in your nervous system, you will have it for life, so we cannot do nothing, there is nothing medicine can do. So I went to the kahunas, and they pick up a few grass in the, in my garden, and, and some stone on the volcano slopes, and they heal me with the stone, in, in one week I was healed. And so for me it was a big shock to know that some guy dressed like me in, in t-shirt and shorts with flower all over the air, you know, could know much better than my dad that did 20 years of study. That was a shock. But that was a shock that showed me that you can gain the knowledge without going to school. And that was really important because that freed me a lot. I could learn whatever I wanted. I didn't have to go to school. Mm. So slowly by slowly, I was introduced to all of that understanding of life and learning about the kahunas and after learning about different ancient tribe and the way they view life and the way they interact with the planet for me was so rich and there was so much profound teaching just learning what those guys did than going to any school that I knew. That's really amazing and so basically the mind and the matter is like there is no mind there is no matter it's just energy is that the kind of concept? Yeah it goes beyond that even but it's to realize that matter is created by energy and not the contrary so all the matter that we have all the matter that we experience with our senses it's only a creation of something larger deeper so if you are interested in it then for sure you're going to want to go to the origin of that matter is just the uh, little creation or what's above that And above that, you will find first the energy, and then you can learn how to play with the energy, how to work with it, and what are they, what do they represent, where do they come from. But then if you go even beyond that, then you discover even larger reality, where it's beyond energy, where yourself is not physical, is not made of matter or energy. It's, it's your consciousness. It's something much larger. So it just open your eyes about what life is, what we see, the matter we experience on earth and with our physical body. It's just one little side of reality. And the larger side of reality, it goes so far and it gives you so much power and so much freedom and autonomy that it's a path that everyone should take because if not you will depend and you will be slave to the matter and it's only a little time that you'll spend in the matter in this physical body so this is not you Mm. you are much bigger much larger much more than you think you are you are not your body. This is just a sweatshirt you put on, you know. it's Your soul decided to do some experience in the matter and it put this body right now, but you will drop that body really soon and you will get back to another state of yourself. So what is that state of yourself? Mm. Where does it live? What is it? You know, the, these are the questions that I was asking myself all the time. And I've been studying years and years and years to find answer to this question and 
that path is the most beautiful one you can walk on and it's infinite Mm -hmm. and it will bring you to some realization about yourself and life that will make you transform you for you have no idea of the transformation (laughs) that you will go through but it's it's beautiful and do you feel that the ocean and waves actually sort of facilitate that sort of feeling and you were saying uh, you know about it's higher than the energy and the matter and everything do you think that the water actually holds something more i don't know magical or spiritual than everybody else imagines i think the whole planet does not only the ocean but the trees the stones the plants the planet by itself the air the wind everything is uh, as something behind and the thing is, is that as long as you are, you follow the human rules, you know, you are not yourself because those are created by some people just for you to remain in a state of kind of slavery. You know, the only place where there is no human rules is nature. And within nature, you access to universal rules. And those the universal rules are much more valuable. They are much more true. You will feel so much better by following the universal rules that you are by following human rules. Human rules will change your country, you know, that shows that they are not universal. They are not for all human universal rules. They are for everyone. So nature is a place of freedom where anything that will be taught to you it will be true and it will help you to walk your life with values, with deep values and understanding your place and your relation to other and to nature by itself. And the thing with the ocean, it's an element that is very comfortable <laughs> because you are made of water. You know, 70% of you, you are a bag of water, much more than a bag of bones or, or flesh. You are water. You know, if you are something first, it's water. And when you are a kid, it's 90%. So putting your water in water, you know, it's just the cells speaks with the ocean. And so you, you gain your knowledge in the ocean naturally. You know, the, the ocean speaks to you, uh, vibratory speaking. Mm. It's not something you'll be conscious of, but... It will do its job. And any emotion that you will put in water will be sent back to you, you know, and it will be sent back to you um, time 10. (laughs) And the Japanese professor Emoto showed that, you know, when he pictured the the crystal of water and he saw that that water will react to your words, to your energies. And we were taught that lesson the hard way. Because if you went in the wave and you were upset, agree, or you wanted everything for your own, you don't didn't want to share or whatever, you know, this kind of uh, bad energy, the ocean will slap you big time. <laughs> you, for sure you will get slapped. But if you had the good approach or the good energy going in the water and being humble and bringing your values and being respectful and being happy and being, uh, you know, with a lot of appreciation and deep value, you will have a blast. Mm. The ocean will give you so much gift Mm. that you will know by the end that you're playing with the ocean the same way you will play with your brother or with a friend, you know, in front. And if you play with him and and you cheat, he will be unhappy, you know. But if you play with him and you are laughing and you are really playing, you know, your brother or your friend will be so happy that the game will be very joyful so it's on you decide what's coming to you yeah that's lovely that's so beautiful and i guess you're still using this energy and this approach to life in your business you're nonetheless a businessman could you talk to us about your startup that you created about five years ago involving hemp yeah i saw the the surfing industry start from zero and becoming some the large company that they are right now And I saw how slowly by slowly through the years, they lost the value, they lost the spirit, they lost the essence of what surfing was. They didn't carry the values anymore. They didn't speak about what's happening in the water. The product they sell, they didn't represent that. So I wanted to do something about it. I wanted to create a product that that was respectful of 
our sport, of our values. And I wanted to do a t-shirt because that was the like our second skin. And so I was I turned to M because I was introduced to M in Hawaii. Everybody was talking about it a lot. So I decided to to start from there to created a brand of t-shirt in hemp with hemp that we grew ourselves, that we transform ourselves and that carry our values and that will put on the market a product that will be proud to say this has the values of that we learn in the ocean and this is our product. We are proud and we sell it to you because we, we know that you will feel good in it and blah, blah, blah. So the company started like that. And from the t-shirt, we moved to the food industry because the hemp seed is so valuable. And we discover the potential of that plant, which is a magical plant. And by everything that I had learned in the process of learning to work with the spirit and everything, I started to apply it to the business and asking the plant to guide me and asking the plant to help me to represent it the best way I could. And so I was taught to work with the energies somehow and to build in the invisible world what you want to appear in the matter. So, for example, if you want to build a table, you're going to visualize the table in your head and you're going to visualize the tools that you need. And that visualization is going to help you build the table in the matter. So I started to do a lot of visualization and work with the amp spirit in meditation to create what I wanted to create, a company that would be able to grow, transform and bring to the public everything that this plant could produce food, clothing, shelter, medicine, and everything in the way that the plant, respecting the, the plant and respecting the people. So I became mostly an uh, ambassador for the plant. <laughs> and I spent so many hours in meditation with the amp spirit, you know, just to trying to be guided through all the process that I our approach is a little bit unique in an industrial business and in a company like that. For me, it was the only way to do a business. I don't want to do a commercial business. I wanted to find my place on this planet and, you know, what I could do so I could transmit everything that was being given to me. That's beautiful. And so today you're, you've got a vertically integrated company. So you grow, you transform, and then you distribute all the different products possible for hemp is that correct yeah we are not yet able to do all the product the textile is a very complex uh, subject because there is many different knowledge that you need to gain back how to thread mm -hmm. how to uh, weave how to dye how to uh, construct and everything so it involves many different industries that are very takes a lot of money to bring back together but right now, we are doing all the food industry with the seed. We are doing a line of textile, but it's not with our own fiber yet. And we are doing cosmetic and we are doing therapeutic with the cannabinoid molecules. Wow. And we are starting to build the factory to be able to do the construction product. So we are in this process. We are not yet to the point where we can say, okay, we can do every product. Mm -hmm. But we are building, we are only three years old. So we moved really fast. And when a company moves fast and grows fast, it's also very difficult financially to hold the company. And we had to deal with the financial part, which is very far away from our values. <laughs> How did you deal with that? It's a balance. It's uh, walking the earth right now. You have to be very balanced. You have to have one foot in the old world that is giving the rules, you know, that you don't want to deal with, and one foot in the new world that nobody knows what it's going to be or what are the rules this new world and stuff so you got to find the middle point and the balance and be straight to your values so that's what uh, i'm trying to do i have some financial partner and they have a different view than me but they are an energy that we need mm -hmm. to build the company yeah. so we work with all the energy and each energy have its own rules 
and you have to be able to accept the rules even if you don't really match with them. That's where we are right now on the planet. We are in between two worlds. We are in a total change of paradigm and we are in a total change of consciousness. So we are leaving a world to entering a new one and we are in between. And it's a very difficult place, but it's a very exciting place because we are building the new world now. And that's what I believe we are trying to do at our level. It's uh, saying, okay, there is a new way to work the earth there is new way to make businesses there is new way to bring product to the people and we are going to do it with our values so that's so important as a business owner to have your values and stick to them because that really is your guiding light to decisions that you're going to make and where you want to take your products yeah i believe that that's our mantra you know it's our values if we let go our values we lose everything. If our values are in our product, then we can sell our product being proud and our product will will shine with values, will vibrate these values. And the vibration of the product will be high. And then the people will notice it. And you don't have to commercialize. You, you don't have to talk about the product and say, oh, my product is better than this one or whatever. You just have to be mellow and built really valuable product and for sure at the end you will be rewarded and the product will make but it's a difficult one to explain to your financial partner (laughs) (laughs) yes what's really interesting in your process for the hemp oil for example is that you inform it now could you tell us a bit more about this process yeah if energy creates matter And what we do in our business is to create matter. We take a product, we transform it, so we create a new matter. So if we want to add to this matter anything, we can do it but through the energies. We can inform the product with the values that we want. And our value is simple, is that for us, we nourish health. Amp is here to nourish your health. We don't fight sickness. My dad did it. My brother did it. My uncle did it. They're all surgeon and doctor. And I, I did some study to heal people. When you heal people, you are against sickness. But I decided to do it differently and to nourish health. Mm. Because if you nourish health, then you don't get sick. So our goal is to use AMP to nourish health of the people. So we put that information energetically onto all of the product. And you can bring that information into the molecules at the atomic level with the intention and with energetical tools. So we use that, that I was taught by some people, you know, how to work with those tools and the energy. So we use what I have been taught to inform each of our products. So the vibratory level of the product is higher. Mm. You know, it's like if you if you grow apples and you love your apple tree, and when you pick apples, you love your apple. They are, they feel so good, they are so happy, and you are always smiling because you are happy under the under this tree. The apples will carry this vibration. And when you sell the apple, the person who will eat it they will eat that vibration. So they will feel really good because it's full of love. If you do the same and you are really upset with your tree and you are really at anger and tired and and you are forced to work and pick up the apple in a field where it's full of chemicals and stuff, you're going to feel really bad and you're going to be angry and you're going to be sad and stuff. The apple is going to carry that energy. And when you're going to eat it, you're going to eat that sadness, you're going to eat that pollution you're going to eat all of that you know and so that's what we wanted to bring on top of our product even more so to be sure that we bring the highest vibration level possible to each of our products so we respect that plant and we work a lot with the farmer to teach them that to tell them if you are happy when you go in your field all 
bacterial life of your field is going to react to that happiness and they're going to feed the plant and the plant is going to feel that happiness and the plant is going to vibrate that happiness so it's going to gain more minerals from the soil and it's going to get a better taste and this is not esoteric this is mechanical but it's the mechanic of the energy and now the modern science is discovering that but before when it told that to the people they think we were just crazy little hippie guys you know who smoke too much weed but now more and more people are starting to understand you know that and especially when you experience that by eating a fruit from your farmer local farmer that is happy face and is smiling or eating the fruit from the grocery store that is full of pesticide and, and bad vibration you will feel the difference on your own so you will know that and that's an important that's thing beautiful. to to know. That's beautiful. It's a lovely way to sort of end this conversation because everything that we bring with us and our feelings and our attitude is just of glows everywhere. So yeah, it's so important and it's so so nice to think that there are farmers that are informed about this energy that you know they'll go into their field and they'll feel happy and they'll make their products better and everything inevitably that's such a nice way to grow your business that's really really cool and in terms of challenges actually growing the business from scratch what was the biggest challenge that you faced actually growing Nunti Sunya? It's to make the people understand the level of consciousness that you want to bring in business that takes time mm. that takes time because for the people to understand where you are because i am way even further that where i am showing my financial partner the people i work with so i have to slow myself i have to swallow my frustration and to understand that there is a timing for everything and you have to go through steps it's like being in hawaii and wanting to serve big wave right away no you're going to get slapped and you're going to get pushed back and saying you got to do your class for two years and stuff so patience has been a, a really big challenge and financial issues have been a really big challenge but it's starting to ease now because after three years people start to gain more confidence about how crazy i am <laughs> It's starting to be a little bit more easy and the planet is changing. People are understanding that and it's changing really fast. We are understanding more and more how it's starting, how it's, it's working. Yeah. It's not the way they taught us. And so we're waking up one by one everywhere. And that is what you are saying about understanding, you know, having, putting consciousness in everything you are doing. We realize now that this is vital or we are going to kill ourselves, we're going to kill the planet, and we're going to leave a world that's damaged for our children. So bringing consciousness and, and understanding what is consciousness and discovering on our own by ourselves, you know, what it is and what rules we should follow and who we should listen to and whatever. So it's mm, so an exciting time. And would you have any books to recommend if we wanted to sort of learn more about this paradigm? I have so many that I, I wouldn't do that. And I think the best thing I could say is go into the, a library, go into an esoteric library, go into a spiritual library and just feel what book is calling you. That will be the one you need at that time. And that will change through time. So just trust yourself. See the one you've been attracted to, even if it's only for the cover or if it's just a word. Or, this one is calling you. Yeah. Take it and read it. There is something for you there. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a wonderful way, actually, to conclude this interview, Vincent. And um, thank you ever so much for being my guest today. So I guess if there's anything you'd like to promote, this is your moment. Maybe some websites or social media accounts where we could get hold of you and where we could order your gorgeous projects. Just, I just want to promote AMP. Okay. <laughs> AMP and cannabis. Just go search AMP cannabis. You will find us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's perfect that's perfect well it's been a lovely conversation Vincent and thank you for joining me and I hope maybe to meet up again soon in the near future to sort of do a recap and see what's going on in your business and, and in your life thank you very much thanks to you thank you <laughs> see you that 
was a delightful conversation. I hope you enjoyed it too. I love the way the conversation went, actually. It wasn't at all supposed to be this way, but it really, really turned into a lovely spiritual conversation. I hope you enjoy that too. If you want to get hold of Vincent's products, you can head over to his website. It's nuntisunya.com. So nunti is N-U-N-T-I-S-U-N-Y-A.com. And if you're France, you can actually get hold of his products in any biocop. So head over to those shops too. You can also check out Vincent's Facebook page at nuntisunya and his Instagram page at le underscore chanvre underscore de underscore l'Atlantique all in one word. All the information mentioned in this podcast is also available on my website and in the show notes of this episode. Just check them out in your app. On the oceanriderspodcast.com you'll also find some great info and photos of my guest so please don't hesitate to have a look. The links to it are in the show notes. If you do enjoy this podcast, please share the love. You can tell your friends, family, fellow surfers in the lineup about this podcast. And if you want to do more to support me, you can. I've created an online merch shop called theoceanridersshop.com. It has a collection of t-shirts, sweatshirts, greeting cards and wall art for all types of budgets. So be sure to check them out on theoceanridersshop.com. Links to it are the are also in the show notes. All profits will go to paying for my awesome podcast editor and 1% of the sales will be donated to Wires New South Wales, a wildlife rescue organisation that is doing its best to rescue the wild animals from the Australian bushfires. Next episode, I'll be chatting with a multi-potentialite globetrotter who's living in Byron Bay. Until next episode, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.